this was my, actually my first, first Mother's Day away from my wife since we've had kids. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 25 years. We got married in second grade. No, we didn't really. I'm just kidding. Uh, we've been married for 25 years. Just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary in April. And uh, we have two children. Uh, our daughter Holly's about to turn 20. Our son Taylor is 15. And uh, I, it's, it's actually crazy to not be with my wife today. Uh, but I'll see her uh, very late tomorrow night when I get home flying 24 hours all the way back to Nashville. Uh, if we've not had a chance to meet yet, my name's Henry. Uh, Pastor James uh, was incredibly kind in his uh, introduction tonight. Uh, I did spend most of my life in Australia, and I want to share a little bit, uh, some of, a little bit of that uh, tonight with you. But we, we moved to Nashville in 2012, and uh, we, we went with no agenda, uh, had no idea why God was sending us to Nashville. In fact, when God began to speak to us about moving to Nashville, uh, I was like, uh, no, sir, uh, how about you go to Nashville and I'll go somewhere cool? Because when we moved to Nashville, anyone in the room actually been to Nashville before? You, are you the only? Okay, two, three, four, we've got four, five. It's like an auction Any, anymore. It's five people. Wow. Well, when we first went to Nashville 11 years ago, it was really not one of the cool places at all. And uh, I, I, I really resisted moving to Nashville. And uh, God has really shifted our hearts uh, in being there. Uh, thank God Nashville's actually got a little bit cooler. And we've got some... When we moved to Nashville, it had the worst coffee in the whole world. People thought Krispy Kreme's coffee and Dunkin' Donuts coffee was the kind of the, the, echel, the, the upper echelon of coffee. And uh, coming from Melbourne, that, that was offensive to me. So, uh, and then people would want to, want to take us out for Asian food. And you got to understand, living in Australia, I mean, we had good Asian food in Australia. And I would travel to Singapore and Malaysia and all sorts of places every year. And so I knew what good Asian food was. And then they would take me out for American Asian food. And I'd be like, hey, I think we should just uh, re, 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 uh, re, rename this just American food because nothing about this is Asian at all. They'd be like, this is Chinese. And I'm like, no, this is offensive to Chinese. This, this is just, it's bad. It's bad. So uh, I actually haven't been to Asia for 10 years. And uh, I, uh, when I got the invitation to come, I didn't even need to ask the Lord because I was like, it's a yes. And then I realized it's going to take me 24 hours of flying to get here. And I said, Lord, you better speak to me about this. But uh, the first time I was actually in the Philippines, and in fact, the last time I was in the Philippines was in 1997. Anyone, anyone uh, not even born in 1997? Wow, that's just, that is amazing. <clears throat> I, I feel young on the inside until I say something like that. And I realize, man, I'm older than I think that I am, but... We were in Cebu in 1997 and uh, did a crusade right uh, as Planet Shakers was actually really being birthed. And uh, it wasn't even an officially a, a Planet Shakers uh, team, but we went and did three or four nights in the, the Coliseum and uh, just saw masses of people get saved and healed and uh, have an encounter with God. And uh, that, was, that was one of my first experiences in Asia. And so uh, I'm glad to be back in the Philippines after 27 years or 26 years. So I, uh, I, I want to get to this message tonight, but I was, uh, I was actually saying to the team the other day, because you guys are doing so many of our Belonging Co. songs, I was like, man, I didn't even know that our music had made it all the way to the Philippines. And uh, except for when Pastor James will tag me on Instagram. And uh, I just looked on the way here on the drive-in. 
And on Spotify, I had no idea about this until I was driving in. The, the, the top four countries for the Belongico are the USA, Australia, Canada, and the Philippines. I'm like, where have I been? How did I not know that? But, but I kind of feel like we, we could maybe take that from number four to maybe number three. You know, like Canada, I mean, Canada schmanada, you know, like Australia, I mean, number two, Australia's old news. You know, like that, that's my old season, but bless you in Brisbane. But you know, I, now I'm feeling bad, right? But I, I kind of, I feel like Philippines, maybe we could take Philippines to number one with the Belong Co music. So if we do that, maybe we'll bring the Blowing Co team and we'll do a little tour here. And we'll, uh, I'm making all, these, making all these promises that I gotta stay, I gotta come good with now. So, but I wanna, uh, I wanna, I wanna read to you tonight. I wanna preach to you uh, a message. I was gonna preach something completely different. And uh, about 20 minutes before I was being picked up, the Holy Spirit said, that was a nice try, but this is what I really wanna say tonight. So uh, I wanna read to you the whole of Joshua chapter three. Uh, if you're having a hard time understanding my uh, kind of quasi-Australian slash half-American accent, uh, then please ask the Holy Spirit to interpret for you. Um, or Pastor James, because he, he can understand all the languages. Uh, but Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know what the living, that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and the Vegemites. I'm glad you like that. That's awesome. So the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the 12 tribes, sorry, from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot into the, the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. 
The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. I want to speak to you tonight a message entitled, Don't Dish Your Destiny. Don't dish your destiny. Don't dish your destiny. But before I preach, I'd love you to just take a moment, close your eyes, and could we invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us tonight? I don't have enough in me to give you everything that God wants to give you tonight, but I know that he will be faithful to do exactly that. So just posture your hearts before him right now, and let's just invite the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place, God. Thank you that but we don't need to invite you into a room. You're already there. But Father, we do, we, we do need to invite you into our space, into our hearts. And so we say tonight, God, would you help us, Lord? Help us have ears to hear, that we would not miss what it is that you want to say tonight, but God, you would deposit in us everything that you need to so that we can bear fruit for the sake of the kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, that was a very lame amen. I'm sorry. Everybody said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to help me preach some tonight. But listen, we, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, book of Joshua. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story of Joshua. And I'm going to touch on some elements tonight. But the reality was for the Israelites, they were, they were within proximity of the promised land. But they hadn't yet stepped into the promised land. And this is this, this is a huge thing for us because I believe today, and this is why I believe the Holy Spirit wanted me to speak this message, because many of you are in proximity of the promise, but you have not yet perceived or received everything that God has for you. Maybe you're a little discouraged, so I'm, I pray tonight that this word would be an encouragement to you. But, you know, we, we, obviously I shared a little earlier that we moved from, from Australia to the United States in 2012, and I'd grown up my whole life uh, in a country where I drove on, you know, on the right side of the road or the left side of the road. Which side did we drive? Wow, I'm, now I'm confused about where I drive. Uh, on the left side of the road. It's been a long week, guys. <laughs> My left, your right. You know what I mean? Like, we, we drove on one side of the road. We used the metric system. But you guys, you, you guys are like, you, you're good with all of it, right? You're a little bit ambidextrous, you know. But, but in Australia, it's just the metric system, which makes a whole lot of sense, you know, because you have, you know, like a millimeter and then, a, you know, 10 millimeters is a centimeter and 100 centimeters is a meter and then 100 meters, 1,000 meters is a kilometer. I mean, it all makes sense. It's just a little foggy, you know, because it's been a while. But then I moved to America and they don't use the metric system. They use the imperial system. Anyone familiar with the imperial system? You have 12 inches that makes up one foot. But it's... I rebuke that in Jesus' name. You have 12 inches that makes up one foot. But you don't have 12 feet that make up one yard. No, you have three feet that make up one yard. And then it's not like, you know, 120 feet or 300... Uh, sorry, 120 yards or 300 yards that make up a mile. It's like... Like 1,700 and something yards make up a mile. I mean, it's just, none of it makes any sense. None of it. You have Celsius in Australia, and zero is freezing. And, and the higher you go, you know, the more like death it feels. You know what I mean? Like, but in America, zero is not, 32 is freezing. 
just who who thought it was a good idea to be like freezing your butt off and set it at 32 like you can go any lower at, at 32 I'm like I'm checked out I don't believe it's probably ever been 32 degrees here in Manila or zero degrees Celsius in Manila. But man, at Christmas time for us, it was minus 17 degrees Celsius in Nashville. And I thought that I was going to die. God spared my life. But you know what? It, it was frustrating to me for the first season because I tried to live. I tried to live by the standards of my old world in my new world. And you know what it did? It caused me frustration. See, if I had continued to live by the laws of the land in my new season like I did in the old season, if I continued to drive my car on the side of the road that I did in Australia while I was in America, it would have been catastrophic to my destiny. And some of you here in this place tonight, God's been speaking to you about taking ground and stepping into a new season. I believe this is a prophetic word for you as a church. It's time to take ground. It's time to take ground. It's time to take ground. It is a new season. It's not that the old season was bad, but as you're coming into seven years, right? Seven years. It's seven years is a new season. It's time to take ground. But you can't do in the new season what you did in the old season but we just got comfortable. Exactly. God doesn't want you to live comfortable. God wants you to live and learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Some of you are like, I'm switching this stream off right now. Please don't do that. Don't leave the room. God wants to take you out of the confines of comfortability and release you into a new season of fruitfulness for the sake of the kingdom. See, new territory requires new tactics. New, new territory requires new tactics. Somebody tweet that or Instagram that or I don't know how you TikTok that, but just TikTok it or something. In, in, see, in verse 4, Joshua's men, they go out through the camp and they, they say, listen, you got to pay attention to where the ark, you know, the ark of the covenant was a representation of the manifest presence of God for the Israelites. In a sense, the spirit of God saying, you've got to follow the spirit of God to where he's going to lead you because he's going to take you someplace you've never been before. This is what it's important for you to understand today. Where God wants to take you isn't going to be somebody else's plan. It's not going to be through some podcast. It's not going to be through some book. It's not going to be through, you know, something you typed into chat GPT. Hey, hey, figure out for me my destiny and let me just sit back and watch. There ain't no AI method to get you to the destiny that God really has for you. It's exactly what the enemy wants to do. Give you an artificial intelligence version or an artificial imitation version of your destiny but you can't follow anybody else's method you got to follow learn how to follow the presence of God now that doesn't mean you become some crazy but I'm just following the spirit of God no you know how you follow the spirit of God you you, you get alone with God you read the word of God you can, it's not the spirit if if you say that God told you something and it's in you know direct contradiction to the Word of God, then that was not the Spirit of God. That was the Spirit of s some bad food that you ate yesterday. <laughs> the Spirit of God will never con contradict the Word of God. The Spirit of God will often, often come to you in the voice 
of the pastors and the leaders that God has placed in your life to help raise you up and give you framework to step into the destiny that God has for you. Now, this passage is, is, is so, so powerful. There's so many powerful things in this passage, but it's amazing to me because it says that the Jordan River was at flood stage. And this, is, this, is, this, this is what I love and also despise about God sometimes. And please, I'm not going to get struck dead for saying this, but it's just, I'm just being, being truthful right now because, you know, I, I just will never understand why God doesn't choose the path of least resistance to show up in our lives. <laughs> but you got to understand this because, you know, if you, anyone love going to the gym? Anyone giving us a subtle flex like, you know, where's the bathroom? Oh, it's that way, you know, like over there. Oh, yeah. Jesus, I worship you, Jesus. I enjoy going to the gym when I've been going to the gym. I don't enjoy going to the gym when I haven't been to the gym for a while, but I've been trying to go to the gym every morning while I've been here in the Philippines because I've been eating so much of my favorite food in all the world, which is Asian food, and not American Asian food, like real Asian food. But, you know, when you go to the gym, you know, you can, you can go to the gym and you can, like, get that weights machine and, and, and you, you can put it on the lowest setting ever, you know, like, you can put on the lowest, you can take that thing out so it's actually not even doing anything. You know, you get on the, on the, on the, the pull-down machine or whatever they call that, and, 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 you, and you, 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 take the, you take it out so there's no weights, there's no resistance. And you can, you can look to everyone else in the gym like, man, you, that guy's flexing. I mean, you, you could do 100 reps like that. You could be, like, even one-handed. So that you, like with your other hand, could be like selfie, you know, hey, like, look at me, ripped, come on, hashtag killing it, you know. You can look the part. You can, you can be in the gym, in your gym clothes. You can be in the gym taking selfies in the gym in your gym clothes. You can have the gym bag, you can have the water bottle, you can have all of it. You can even be doing the moves. But if there's no resistance, there's no growth. Why, God, why? Because resist persistence through resistance leads to growth. And it annoys me so much. But when we read this passage of Scripture... It shows us that when they're about to cross over, God has waited till the worst time of the season for them to cross. Isn't that just God? He waits till it's impossible. You ever found yourself in a moment where you're like, man, if, there's, if one more thing happens, I'm done. I am maxed out. If I get one more email, one more text message, if I get one more message on WhatsApp that something's gone wrong in the production in church during service, shout out to the production team. We got really quiet then. If I get one more message, if I have one more thing that goes wrong, I'm done. I believe God waits we got nothing else left in us to do his best work 
And if you feel maxed out right now, realize this is not about what you can do in your own strength. This is about what God wants to do through his Holy Spirit. See, they were up against an impossible situation. But I love this because what seemed like a dead-end obstacle was actually the pathway to the promised land. It was the pathway to the promised land. They're standing on the edge of the water, facing an impossible situation. God had given them, an, given them a promise, but the promise would not begin to unfold until they took a step into what seemed impossible. Some of you here in this room, God's been speaking to you not just this year, but maybe even for several years about stepping out in faith, about building, about creating, about designing, about writing, about inventing. And you've come up with all the reasons why you can't do it. God says, I got the promise, and I got the promised land. But the only way there is for you to take a step off the shore into the impossibility. See, it wasn't until they put their feet in the river that the water began to bank up. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched the movies, you know, all the old school, you know, all the movies, all the like old Bible movies, you know. I think sometimes, I don't know if you have thought about this story, you know, like the waters parted and they walked through. I think, you know, for a long time in my mind, I just thought, you know, it was like, it was just, it was here, you know, like, it was like there. It says here that it, it was 20 miles downstream that it began to bank up. And so by, by the time they're about to walk through, the water is 120 feet up in the air. This, this, this roof's probably 25 foot, 30 feet maybe. Imagine four times the height of this room is how high the water was as it began to bank up. Now you gotta understand, this is not just like from here to the back of the room or from here to the front row. At flood stage, it's possible that this river was about two miles across. So when they made a decision to step out into the middle of that riverbank, there was no turning back. Imagine them standing there facing that wall of water on one side and a sea on the other side. The intimidation, the fear, the thought of, yeah, I know God spoke, but man, what if I got it wrong? What if God said, hey, I'm just gonna hold the water for 10 seconds and then I'm gonna give you a, 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 I'm gonna give you some big waves. You know, it's gonna be like Hawaii kind of vibe. Imagine their, their fear as they're looking at this, this water that's just banked up and thinking to themselves, we got, we got to trust that God is going to be good on his word till we make it to the other side. Now, here's, here's what's incredible about this. If this is not already incredible enough, it says that they crossed over. Anyone remember? They crossed over on dry ground. You guys get some pretty heavy rains from time to time, right? Ten, always, exactly. Wet season. You, you, ten minutes of rain, and you're going to have about maybe ten hours or maybe even a couple of days worth of some pretty soggy, you know, damp, muddy kind of situations going on, right? Uh, imagine this riverbed 
that's never been dry before. It's never been parted before. There's no reason for that ground to be dry. There's no reason at all for that ground to be dry. And I wonder if some of you, even in this place tonight, it's like you're, you're on the precipice of the miracle, but you're, you're fearful that you're gonna step out and get stuck in the mud. You're gonna step out and get stuck in this. You're gonna step out and get stuck in all the same things that you got stuck in before. Maybe you even tried it before. Maybe you even stepped out before and you failed. Maybe you stepped out before and it didn't work out. Maybe you stepped out before and you had a mess up and all of a sudden you found yourself stuck in the mud. I believe God wants to tell you tonight, this is not the season for getting stuck. This is the season that God wants to bring you through to the other side on dry ground, and it's going to be a miracle. Step after step after step after step. But here's the thing. You just got to keep going. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. You got to keep. Don't stop halfway. Don't stop 10 steps in. Don't stop three quarters of the way. You got to get to the other side. Don't get stuck in the mud. Keep going where God is calling you because he's going to take you. Some of you have been crippled on the journey, but God wants to release you tonight in Jesus' name. Joshua 4, as we read on in Joshua 4, I just want to read the first couple of verses of Joshua 4, but it says, when the whole nation had, crossed, had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among you, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest is standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Take 12 stones from the middle of the river. They had to take something from the river. Some of you are in a place right now where you feel like your situation has taken everything out of you. But I believe God wants to bring you to a place where rather than the situation taking something from you, you're going to take something from the situation and you're going to set that up as an altar before the Lord. See, what did they do? They took these 12 stones and they set them up as an altar to the Lord. Now, this, you're just going to have to go a little deeper with me tonight, if that's okay. I, I heard that you go pretty deep in the Word here in Manila, so you give me a wave if you're all right, if we go a little bit deeper. But see, these, these, these stones came from the riverbed. These stones came from the riverbed. You ever taken a stone that's been in the riverbed, that's been in water for a long time? When there's been water moving over the stone, what happens? It begins to smooth out the stone. See, the stones that they took, it's, it's very likely that they were smooth, that they had been fashioned by being in the water. Now, those stones wouldn't have started out smooth. Who knows how they got there, whether they, you know, rolled down a mountain, some jagged thing fell off a cliff, who knows? But those stones more than likely didn't start out smooth. But by the time they take them out of the water, now here's, here's what's wild. God could have said to them, hey, wait till you get to the other side, and when you're a few steps from the other shore, pick up a few stones. But he didn't. The, there had to be a cost. There, there had to be some effort. There had to be some diligence and some discipline in the middle of the situation that they were in. You know when God calls you to something? At first it's like, man, this is awesome. It's amazing. And you're all pumped up with vision. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to take Manila. We're going to do this. We're going to build a church. We're going to do all these amazing things. 
And then, you know, you, you flip it and you get, to the, you get to the completion of what God called you to do. And you stand back, you're like, yeah, it's awesome. You know, the hardest part of the journey is in the middle. In the middle between what God called you to and the promised land that you're going to reach. When you're in the middle, you're in the deepest place of that situation. And that's the place God says, I need you to pick up some things that you can begin to turn into worship. Now, if you read on in Exodus 20, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 25, God instructs his people, just roll with me here. He says, if you're going to build me an altar, don't use stones that have been shaped by man's doing. This is amazing. Don't use stones that have been shaped by man's doing, but use uncut stones. Otherwise, the worship will be unholy. This is wild to me because what is God saying? God has already set up for them a worship that they can take out of the river that they don't even realize. And see, some of you have been walking through things and it's been like these things have been sharp and they've been jagged and they've hurt, but God has had them buried beneath the river of His presence trying to smooth them over. You've been wondering to yourself, why does it feel like I've been drowning? Why does it feel like I've been in the middle of it? And God's saying, you're not drowning. I'm just doing something under the surface and I'm about to bring you up and over. You thought you were being overwhelmed, but He's going to cause you to overcome. God is refining you in the middle of the journey. So what you have when you reach the promised land is not abrasive. It's not sharp. It ain't going to cut nobody. It ain't going to trip nobody up. But it's going to be established as worship to God. Let him do what he needs to do in the middle of the river. God's not looking for perfectly curated worship. He's not looking for the people who've got the, got the Sunday morning moves or Sunday afternoon moves figured out. He's, he's not looking for the perfectly curated Instagram feed with, you know, all the scriptures beautifully placed when you look at it like a grid and it's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Who cares if your feed looks good? If what's inside of you is not refined by God, that's a word. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a word for me. See, they established with 12 stones, 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 stones representing the fullness of the kingdom of God. See, they were establishing through their worship something that would last forever. God is establishing through you something that's going to last forever. I don't know if you've read the book of Joshua. Anyone read the book of Joshua? Just, just wave at me. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but in Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua three times, he says, be strong and courageous. I, it, it honestly gives me such hope uh, that, you know, even if, if, if God had to repeat himself that many times with Joshua, that it's okay because he has to repeat himself many, many times with me often where I'm a little bit too dumb to get what he's saying, but God's patient and he'll just keep repeating himself. People ask me all the time, how do, how do I know if it's God? This is what I know about God. God will always repeat himself. If you're asking God about your future, someone comes to you and gives you a prophetic word and it seems like totally crazy. Don't build your life on one crazy word. If it's God, he'll repeat it. When we were getting ready to leave Australia, in fact, long before we were getting ready to leave Australia, 
We were part of an incredible church, obviously. I was on staff there for a long time, since its inception. We had no, no, no desire to ever leave. And then over a course of a period of a few years, God began to stir our hearts about moving to the USA. And I honestly didn't want to leave Melbourne. Loved that church, loved our pastors. It wasn't perfect, but it was incredible. God had used it in our lives and done something amazing in our lives through that. God began to speak to us about moving to the United States. And I was like, all right, God, well, we, we get this sense, but we're not gonna tell, we're not gonna, we're not gonna give people prophetic hints, you know, of like, hey, I was thinking this, you got a word for me? You know, it, it, don't do that. Just tuck it away in your heart, talk to your pastors, and then let God do the rest. So we tucked it away in our heart, talked to our pastors. They were not really happy, honestly, but they said, we're gonna walk this journey and see what God does. So we didn't tell anybody else. You know what was crazy? People would come to me, I would travel. People would come to me and be like, you know, I had this dream the other night. It was so weird because I saw a poster and your face was on the, and in the dream, there was like an American flag in the background. I don't know what that means. Someone else came to me one day and, and he was like, you know, I had this dream the other night uh, and, and uh, I, I, I saw you. And then the very next thing that I saw, I saw a thumb drive. I was like, all right, you got some like files for me? Or? He goes, no, it, it, he goes, it was weird because it, it said on there USB. I was like, yeah, of course, it's like a USB thumb drive. And the guy said, no, the US is where he's meant to be. I was like, all right, this is getting weird. And then time and time and time again, God repeated himself until we realized the US is where we're meant to be. But don't just move your whole life on one word. Let God confirm what he wants to do. Because God's in no hurry. He's not impatient. He's, he's already setting you up knowing that it's gonna take some time to get you where you need to be. But don't get stuck. Just submit it to the Lord. But God repeats himself to Joshua, be strong and courageous, three times. Now we read a lot of the highlights of Joshua's life. But I wonder, you know, in some of the areas that we don't get to read about, I wonder if there was a reason that God had to keep reminding Joshua to be strong and courageous. I wonder if there were days that Joshua looked at the whole situation, the call, the plan, and thought this is impossible. And in those moments, God had to come to him and say, hey, I told you, but I'll tell you again, be strong and courageous. I wonder if he got frustrated or discouraged or disappointed wonder if he began to diss his situation, grumble and complain about the situation. See, I believe the enemy wants you to diss it so you miss it. Grab <laughs> The enemy wants you to diss it so you miss it. I don't know if you know what the, the, the prefix diss means. It, it means zero. It means nothing. It means bring it down to nothing. This is what the enemy wants to do. A anyone, anyone into rap music here in the room? Yes, somebody, okay, we'll pray for you later. We'll have an altar call for you later. No, I'm kidding. But. <laughs> you know, in the, in the rap community, they love, they love to write diss tracks because they want to, you know, diss somebody out and Someone else writes another diss track about them. And, you know, there's this whole little battle thing going on. They love, they love to write diss tracks. I believe this is what the enemy wants to do in our lives. He wants to write a diss track so he'll distract. 
The enemy wants to write a diss track so he can distract you from your destiny. He wants you to get discouraged so that you can dismiss the call of God upon your life. But we got to start to dismiss the lies of the enemy so we don't get displaced in what God has called us to. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't dish your destiny. Turn to your other neighbor and say it like you mean it. Don't dish your enemy. Sorry, don't dish your destiny. Wow. You can dish your enemy all you want. Don't dish your, don't dish your destiny. Don't dish your destiny. See, you miss what you diss. The enemy would love nothing more for you to, the, to, to begin to grumble and diss what God has called you to. But you realize when God brings the Israelites to part the Red Sea, this is not the first time that they've been here. It's not the first time that a generation of Israelites has been at the Red Sea ready for a miracle to get to the promised land. God's done this miracle before, but you know what happens if you read earlier on in their journey? Because they began to grumble and complain about the place that God had them, they missed out on their promised land. I believe God is gonna keep bringing a generation back to the same place on the precipice of a miracle until somebody will put the disc behind them so they don't miss what's in front of them. We gotta stop complaining about where God's got us. We gotta stop mumbling and groaning and start realizing in the middle of this, God is refining us so that we will have a worship on the other side of the place that he's taken us. Come on, if you believe it, just take five seconds, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and give God some praise in this place. The enemy wants to disrespect your appointment with disappointment. Last year, over the summer, which is July in America, in winter in Australia, wet season here is that right ish it's all the same hot hot and more hot i love it in july last year my wife and i took uh six weeks off and we've never done this since we've been in ministry and, and uh we were, were so looking forward to having this six week sabbatical maybe evan you can come you're already there what a man of god but we took six weeks off, and to be honest, we were really looking forward to it. We're, we're nine years into the belonging at that point, or almost nine years. We'd been meeting for a year in our basement before that, so it was, it was basically 10 years of our journey of being in Nashville and never really had a significant uh, break. And uh, the very first day of our break, somebody posted some stuff online, made some allegations about our church that were absolutely untrue. I had just had surgery on my sinuses the first day of our break. And so over that weekend, as all this stuff's coming out, I'm like on pain meds. I've got my stuff stuck up my nose. I mean, it was just this wild, wild, wild time. I'm having to deal with this whole situation on the very first day of our sabbatical. Two weeks, just in damage control, trying to figure this thing out. We fly to Mexico to go have this 
two-week vacation with our family. We've booked this beautiful place on VRBO, and we get there and realized we've basically been scammed. 24 hours later, we leave that place. We have to go and spend a whole bunch of other money to go to another city. I mean, it's just like crazy stuff. Then another situation happens. Then all this stuff. The first four weeks of our sabbatical, that's supposed to be the most restful time of our ministry life, but probably one of the worst seasons of my whole life. By the time we got back to Nashville, we had two weeks left of our break. I felt more stressed, more discouraged, more overwhelmed than I'd felt in the last 10 years of ministry. <laughs> and when I got back, I just began to have these thoughts of, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I'm not meant to be in ministry. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not meant to pastor a church. I never wanted to pastor a church. I was happy mixing records. I was happy being a worship leader. And I, I went on this, this spiral you know what I did? I, I didn't tell anybody at all. In fact, I isolated myself from everyone. You know, when you isolate yourself, you open yourself up to the whispers of the enemy. And for another week, I just allowed these lies to go over and over and over in my mind. Until on the Sunday, I began to stream into church. and Man, God just began to speak to me and remind me of everything that he called me to. So the enemy had tried to steal my appointment with disappointment. Some of you in this room, you're in this place right now. When we read about the life of David, 1 Samuel 16, he is anointed king he's anointed king but he's not yet put in the position to be king he's anointed king but he's not yet appointed king he's anointed king but then he's sent back to the very place that he was we read on in the life of David in this season where he's been anointed but not yet appointed is when the king becomes his enemy and comes for him. There's a moment in 1 Samuel 24 where it says David, he's basically been on the run for his life. He's got this whole group of men who have followed him. Or who, they've got their own you know, issue with the king. So they've come to David and you know, just be careful of the people who come around you who have got issues with some of the people in your life. Don't, don't let people with issues bring their issues and let you be the bearer of their issues. Don't take up somebody else's offense. David's there in the cave. And lo and behold, as he's there in the back of the cave, who should appear in the front of the cave but King Saul? The Bible says that King Saul came in to relieve himself. One translation says that he brought his robe down to his feet. Not sure how he was relieving himself. It was number one or maybe number two. But David's men, they say, David, see, this is your moment. God has delivered him into your hands. 
But I love this about David. Because even though King Saul is his enemy, he is still anointed by God as king. And David chooses that even though the king is in a vulnerable place, David still shows honour. David walks up, he cuts the corner off the robe and he's so convicted. When Saul leaves the cave, David cries out and repents. See, David could have cut corners to get to the place that he was promised. But you know what? Here's the difference. If David had killed King Saul in that moment, even though he was rightly, he was rightly to take the place of kingship, he could have done the right, he could have had the right thing, but the wrong way. See, the enemy's always gonna come with a shortcut to you and say, you know what, if you do this, if you just get online, you just get somebody else's sermon over, you just get online, just take that over there. Well, you just, you know, just kind of, just don't, you don't have to pay all your taxes or you, you don't have to do all of this stuff. You don't have to tithe all of what comes, you know, on all of what comes. You, you can just cut some corners along the way. God will not honour the promise and the calling on your life if you cut corners. But because he chose to be honorable. See, if, if, if he had taken from King Saul, even though it was rightly as if he had taken from King Saul by cutting corners, David would not have been appointed king. He would have spent the rest of his life on the run as a traitor. There's destiny on your life. But the enemy wants to rip you off of your destiny by causing you to cut corners and abort what God has called you to. See, some of you have become disappointed in the season between the anointing and the appointing. You might be in a season right now of waiting. Maybe you can just stand our feet across this place. There in Brisbane, stand to your feet. Just close your eyes. If you're watching online, just close your eyes. Maybe you're in a place right now where you felt discouraged about the call. You've felt discouraged about what God has for you. Maybe you've got a promise, but you haven't seen the fulfillment of the promise. Maybe you've been on the journey across the Red Sea, but you got stuck in the mud. Wherever you are right now, just as eyes are closed across this place, you say, that's me. Just lift your hands to heaven. I believe God wants to come and meet you where you're at tonight. He wants to come and meet you where you're at tonight. I just speak to those of you who have been struggling with discouragement right now. What's the antidote to discouragement? I believe it's encouragement. We deposit a seed of encouragement into the place where it feels like zero courage. I just take, I take a hold of the lie of the enemy that's tried to diss your courage. And say, be gone in Jesus' name. And I want to remind you tonight of the call of God upon your life. I want to remind you that if God said it, then God's going to do it. If God promised it, then God will be faithful with it. It may not feel like it right now, but the story's not over. Just because you haven't seen the fulfillment doesn't mean that you're at the end of the journey. Every session that we've been in this weekend, I've ask people to do this. I'm just a big believer that sometimes we come into agreement with lies of the enemy and it actually keeps us trapped in that place. 
just here in this place or online right now, if there's been an area where you feel like, man, I've just been locked down in this discouragement. And because of that, you've almost latched onto it. It started to become the, the atmosphere of your world. And I just want you to repent because that's, it's like an agreement with the enemy of, I'm going to stay in this place. And I want you to just take a minute and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've, I've camped out in this place of discouragement. I've camped out in this place where I've allowed the lies and the seed of the enemy to infiltrate my heart. I don't want to stay there. But God, I want to reach down and pick something up from the middle of this riverbed. And I want to carry it to the other side and set it up as an altar of worship to you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I just speak to those dreams that have laid dormant. Some of you are a little older in the room and you felt like, man, my best days are behind me. That's a lie of the enemy. It's a, it's a lie from hell. While there's breath in your lungs, there is the ability for the Spirit of God to continue to move through you. And what you carry that this next generation doesn't quite yet, you carry wisdom. You have, a, you have wisdom. You have experience that this generation needs to see the older generation step up, not out of insecurity, but to say, hey, I've been around the block a few times. I learned a few lessons. Let me help you not make some mistakes along the way. I speak to those dreams. I say it's time to come back to life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Just keep your eyes closed across this room tonight. I just, I'm not sure where you're at in this room or watching online. I'm not sure where you're at in your walk with God. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you've been in church many times before. Maybe you've been around church, but you know, we read in the, in the Bible, there were plenty of people who were, were around Jesus who were not surrendered to Jesus. Can I tell you this tonight, friends? You can't know the promises of God until you have a relationship with the fulfillment of the promise of God, which is Jesus Christ. You can't even start on this journey to your best days without first receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. See, it's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to just grow up in a religious household. It's not even enough to just read the Bible or even just go to church. All of this starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Pastor Henry? Glad you asked. The Bible says if we'll believe in our hearts, confess with our mouths and call upon the name of Jesus, that we will be saved. We will start our journey with Him. He'll forgive us of our sin. Wash us clean of all our shame and our guilt and our past and set our foot upon a rock that is unshakable in Jesus Christ. If you're here in this place tonight, as nobody's looking around. If you're there in Brisbane with nobody looking around and you say, you know what, I know that I'm not right with Jesus, 
But tonight I need to get right with Jesus. I want to start my relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're here, friend, and you once were walking with Jesus. But you know right now, Jesus is not at the center of your life. And you say, i got to get back with Jesus. i got to get back to Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer tonight. But before I do that, would you just lift your hand wherever you are? Come on, one, two, three. Lift your hand. Say, that's me. I need to get right with Jesus. Come on, if you're going to lift your hand, lift it high and say, I need Jesus tonight. I need Jesus tonight. Come on, many hands have gone up already across this place. But I believe that this is a divine moment. This is a moment where you get your sin forgiven, where you get your past washed clean, and you can start the best days of your life. Keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised. We're going to pray this prayer together tonight, friend. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But if you're here in this room, you're in Brisbane, you're watching online, I want you to repeat this. It's not a magic formula. This is just a simple cry to to God. They say, God, I surrender my life to you. I'm going to ask us, church, can we repeat this prayer together tonight to help our brothers and sisters that would pray this? And if you're going to pray, if you're already saved, would 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 you pray this loud enough that the rest of Manila could hear this, that the rest of Brisbane could hear this, that the rest of your community watching online would hear this? Because I believe this is a prophetic declaration because part of taking ground is seeing souls saved. So come on, we're going to, we're going to pray this prayer like it's not just for those here in this room. We're going to pray this as a declaration over Manila tonight. Come on, out loud, say, Dear Father, thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me and Jesus thank you that you were willing to take my place that you died for me to set me free of my past to cleanse me of my sin and to give me a hope for my future today I surrender my life to you I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior, and my best friend. Thank you. Today, I'm your child. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate with every person that just said yes to Jesus here in this place tonight or watching online?